0: Welcome back to The Real News Network and Reality Asserts Itself. We've been interviewing Eddie Conway, the former Black Panther, and in his book Martial Law, The Life and Times of a Baltimore Black Panther, here's what he writes about his trial. These killers used war and genocide as a means of securing a global economy for themselves. I knew that if these folks would kill their own children, like they did at Kent State, they would surely use the heavy hand of government to swat us panthers like so many roaches. I had no illusions about receiving justice in America. A little further down, he writes, the seven days of my trial demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that this country is indeed a police state." And once again, Eddie Conway joins us in the studio. Thanks for joining us.
1: Okay. Thank you for having me.
0: So, uh, quickly, uh, in terms of biography for Eddie, Eddie was born in Baltimore. Uh, was a panther, went to jail in
1: 1970.
0: 1970. Yes. And uh, so we've been doing uh, sort of the history of your life, uh, bits of it at any rate, up until this point. Uh, before we get into the trial, let's just talk about the events that brought you to the trial. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about why you were arrested and what the events were around that.
1: I was arrested uh, a couple of days after shooting. Uh, in which uh, two panthers got locked up, uh, police got killed, and another police got shot uh, um, and they decided initially to arrest the entire leadership of the Baltimore uh, Panther Party. Uh, a police informer had disappeared six months before they were had indictments that uh, they were going to uh, execute against us at some point. It took six months, apparently, for them to do it. They, they then did it as a result of this ex-, uh, uh, as a result of the incident. Um, while uh, in jail, they put a police informant in my cell.
0: Okay. Before we do that, yeah. let's just get to what happened. So if I understand mm-hmm. correctly, uh, a police officer was killed, another was wounded, yes, and then two Panthers were found in the, in the area, yes. And actually, with one of the weapons, yes. And uh, and then, and that's what leads to two days later. You're at work at the post office, yes. And you get arrested. So yes. Pick it up from
1: there. Yes. Uh, well, they came to the post office while I was working, and they uh, the supervisor called me to the office, and they jumped out the ceiling, and pretty much locked me up and bungled me off, and took me to the. Uh, Central booking to the police station.
0: Yes. Now, if I understand from the, the it took two days for a, a, one of the police officers that was in on arresting the other two guys, uh, claimed that he had chased someone, and oh. after two days identified you. Yes, and What was about that? Uh, what was the issue of that identification? Well,
1: the issue was, and and we ultimately went to the Supreme Court about it, was that apparently they took two uh, stacks of photographs, uh, and no other photo was duplicated in the stacks, and they put my photograph in both stacks. And uh, after, and I don't know, they, they might have already uh, instructed the, the, the guy to select that particular picture, but as he looked through stack one, he didn't see anybody he could identify. He looked through stack two and he see the same picture duplicated. He identified me. Uh, we did challenge it, like I say, all the way up to the Supreme Court, but we lost that challenge because the, by rights at that time, by me being in custody, I should have been put in a lineup.
0: Yeah, that' why wasn't there a lineup?
1: Uh, because they wouldn't have been able to make an identification.
0: And under Maryland law at the time, there didn't have to be a lineup.
1: Well, at the time, it it was the law that it should have been uh, a lineup, but because of the Supreme Court case, the, uh, a Supreme Court case, I believe, that came out of the South, uh, decided that a lineup was necessary, and at that point, then it became uh, a moot uh, question.
0: Right. Yeah. Now, the uh, where were you at the time of the murder?
1: I was at the headquarters uh, down on Gay Street.
0: Headquarters of the Panther Party. Yeah,
1: headquarters of the Panther Party. Yeah. Now,
0: just for people, if anyone's watching this that hasn't watched the first five segments of this series, uh, well, one, you should, because it go, this is going to make a whole lot more sense if, if you watch the the, the lead-up to this. But just in case you haven't, uh, Eddie di- did get convicted, uh, spent 44 years in jail, and was just released about six months ago. Um, and to a large extent, one on the testimony of this police officer, uh, which is a pretty dubious uh, uh, identification. Uh, the uh, the other thing is, uh, you had told me he's had a story that he in that's in the transcripts mm-hmm. that he knew you because you had grown up and he knew you from the district he worked in.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that story, you know, was a bogus story. Also, just like his selecting of the the photographs. Uh, his his position was that I grew up in West Baltimore, and he watched me grow up, and he knew me. And at the time, I think I was, like, 24. I had been a, a, a youth in West Baltimore uh, up until, like, the uh, the mid-'50s, I believe. And they took our house, eminent domain, and they built the police station, which he was working out of. It's kind of ironic. On yeah. top of our house. And we moved to East Baltimore, and I went to school, I went to elementary school in East Baltimore, went to junior high school in East Baltimore, I went in the military from East Baltimore. And when I came back from the military, which uh, lasted for three years, I moved back into East Baltimore. uh, And as I worked at John Hopkins in the post office, I mean, it's clearly stated on the records that my address, all of my addresses were East Baltimore addresses.
0: and this was a this was a nighttime chase. He's 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 chasing someone at night. Yeah. And these kinds of testimonies are always pretty dubious. Yeah. Uh, but the the testimony that sort of uh, sunk you in a way uh, was this jailhouse informant. What was that about?
1: Well, they, they, I knew that he was an informer before they put him in my cell. Uh, when they brought him in the jail, some of the other prisoners knew him from the uh, Jessup uh, prison and they knew he was an informer. And they sent word up to my cell that they was getting ready to, they had specifically assigned him to my cell and that he was an informer. And so when they brought him up to the cell and opened the door, I stepped out and I refused to go back in and it led to an incident. And, of course, they had to call the, the goon squad, as it was then, and they had to bring tear gas and mace, and they actually physically forced me to go back in the cell. But the result of that was that they had to record it in the, the tear book. Uh, the sergeant had to record that an incident had occurred, that they had to call in additional help, and that um, they had to, you know, uh, use force, and because of that, uh, that was one of the things that that showed that you know I was already aware that yeah, this it actually guy came was out of trial. Yeah, that that yeah, that you yeah.
0: had complained about this guy being put yeah. in, in the cell because yeah. it was it was well known he did this kind of stuff. Yeah. On the other hand, this becomes a piece, an important piece of, mm. of the evidence against you.
1: Yeah, um, and basically they put him in a cell. They left him in the cell for three days. And uh, probably a mistake on my part, uh, people on the tier also knew he was an informer, and they knew, they understood what the incident was about. And he claimed to confess there. Yeah. You? They wanted to beat him up. Uh, and I knew at that time that I was being held illegally and they didn't have any reason to keep me. and. My fear was that, okay, if they beat this guy up, I'm gonna, you know, they're gonna accuse me of orchestrating that. And then they're going to have justification for holding me with something additional.
0: Now, again, we've we've talked about a lot of this in the the previous segments of the interview. But this is all in the context of a national campaign Mm -hmm. called Mm -hmm. COINTELPRO, which is the FBI and NSA and local police forces. And it's Mm -hmm. clear from the documents that came out later that they were out to get the Panthers. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of you being set up is not some isolated incident. This was Mm -hmm. happening all across the country.
1: Yes, in fact, and of course we didn't find out about that until uh, several years later, after they had literally destroyed the Black Panther Party, uh, they had the church hearings in like 75, 76, and the documents and the papers came out. Uh, Prior to that, they had the files were stolen up in Pennsylvania, medium Pennsylvania, I believe it was. And those files indicated that there was an operation uh, called COINTELPRO that was spying on uh, groups and sabotaging uh, uh, groups. Uh, But it still took several years before the government uh, actually uh, convened a committee to study and investigate it. But what apparently occurred, In hindsight, looking back, uh, we had 37 chapters. We had 37 state chapters at the time. In the period of a year and a half, they destroyed 25 of those chapters, uh, either locked up the leadership, uh, killed the leadership, chased the leadership out of the country, or disrupted those organizations in each state.
0: Now, the, the murder you were convicted for. Um, two panthers do get into a fight with, mm-hmm. with these police officers. One of them is killed. Mm-hmm. Um, to the as 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 well as you know it now, was it a mission to go kill a police officer or was a why why do you think this fight broke out the way
1: it was? I don't know, and even though we all were in jail together at some point, uh, it was basically one of those things that you didn't ask people about. I don't know exactly what occurred or why it occurred. Uh, I know that one of them eventually died in the prison system, and the other one was paroled several years ago.
0: Now, at one point, one of the guys, I guess I think his last name was Johnson,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, he had given evidence to the police mm-hmm. that you had you were in on it, but mm-hmm. then he recants.
1: Yeah. He was going to, they made a deal. Di- in fact, what they did was they approached him and said, like, okay, we got you, and we got you with the guns, so on, so on, so. If, you know, you say Conway did it, we'll let you go. And um, so, I mean, for him that was a good deal, apparently. So he was saying, like, okay, I will say that, you know. And then I guess he thought about it and realized that that was wrong, and he reneged on him. And it was the statement that they gave him to testify against me that they gave to the informer. Because once they couldn't get him to uh, carry that statement forward, they then put those words in the informer's mouth and they used it's that the, same the statement. The jailhouse guy. The jailhouse guy, jail yeah. guy. Yeah. yes.
0: Okay. Now, you wanted William Kunstler to represent you. Okay? Yes. And they asked for 30. William Kunstler, for people don't know, was a very famous civil rights lawyer of the day and mm-hmm. defended many other Panthers, as well as very well-known. Uh, leaders of the anti-war movement and other kind of political cases. Uh, counselor was going to do it, but needed 30 days. The mm-hmm. judge originally says yes to the 30 days, mm-hmm. then the next day, if I understand it mm-hmm. correctly, for some reason, and mm-hmm. well, one speculates someone talked to the judge, says no.
1: Yeah. Well, for clarification, Counselor wasn't going to do it. He came down, he talked to me, and he talked to the judge, and he asked the judge for 30 days so he could send one of People from his firm down, he was going to send a lawyer down, and the judge told him, "Okay, he could have the 30 days to do that." And that was a Friday, and Monday they came and took me out of my cell and took me to trial and said that they they were reneging on that agreement. And they give you a court-appointed
0: public defender. And gave
1: me a court-appointed public and then defender. And you
0: decide not to participate in the trial at all. So w- yes, what did that mean and why?
1: Well, two things. One is that that court-appointed public defender I've only seen for 45 minutes. This he's was going
0: defend you on a. This is a, this capital, a capital murder charge. Murder there's, there's charge. The death penalty in Maryland at the death time. Death penalty in and Maryland. And he's going to defend at you with 45 minutes. prep. For
1: 45 minutes. So I explained to the judge. I say I'm not going to go to trial with this guy. I've seen him for exactly 45 minutes, and the records showed that I had only seen him for 45 minutes. It wasn't speculation. It was like the visitation records said 45 minutes. And uh, so how in the world could they think he could be prepared to go to trial to represent me? And how in the world would I, in all good consciousness, knowing already that there was, like, a lot of skullduggery going on from the police informer to the the, the identification with the photos and everything else? Now, why in the world would I? trust somebody that I, I didn't even really have a relationship with. So I fired him, and they didn't let me fire him. And uh, then they did let me fire him, and they told me I could represent myself. But then when I started representing myself, uh, they started ignoring it and talking to him as if he was still employed. And so uh, at that point I just told them if they were going to have a trial without my input and without me, then I didn't need to be in the courtroom. So I withdrew from the trial and, and set in the bullpen through the whole trial. This is but is under, underneath the? Un- underneath the jail, underneath the where the courtroom is. That was part of it, and I guess the other part of it is that. Knowing that I couldn't get a fair trial, and basically we were basically talking back and forth, to national headquarters to Oakland, uh, and their feeling was that if I was going to be railroaded, then I shouldn't participate in the trial. And I, at that time, I actually agreed. I didn't see how I could get a fair trial. It seemed like everything was stacked against me, and it just didn't seem to be worth my while to sit through it and participate in it.
0: Now, this is, you could be facing the death penalty. So when you're making this kind of decision, you're knowing you could be facing the death
1: penalty. Yes.
0: So in retrospect, what do you think of that decision?
1: Well, it was a mistake, I mean, in in retrospect. You know, I mean, initially for a long time I didn't think it was a mistake. but but realizing that it, it was my politics that made me uh, made me make that mistake my politics was that I did not believe that there, there could be a fair trial for a black panther in America I didn't believe that uh, there could be even justice for a black man in America uh and so my politics and the uh, the the political ideology that we had you know uh Kind of dictated that decision uh, based on all the other stuff that was happening, kind of like uh,
0: reinforced the say belief. It's a
1: mistake, well, it's a mistake now because I do realize that we could have won that trial if we had a, did a criminal, if we had a, fought it as a criminal case instead of a political trial. We could have actually won the case.
0: Yeah. Their evidence was very flimsy.
1: Yeah. Well, they didn't have any evidence. And the fact that we didn't fight kind of uh, allowed their lack of evidence to stand when it it could. It's it's like the thing uh, about the identification of the police about where I lived. I mean, all, clearly all the evidence showed that I grew up. I went to school. I mean, I didn't miss school. I went to school in East Baltimore. I went to, uh, uh, I worked from East Baltimore. All my uh, employment records showed that I lived in East so Baltimore, so clearly this guy, so clearly
0: this guy Baltimore was lying. Was so. lying. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, on appeal, why would inadequ- inadequacy of counsel not have been a successful appeal? I assume you did appeal this. Yeah, we
1: appealed and we appealed and we appealed. And like I say, in one particular case we even went to the Supreme Court. I think you put in 1970 the climate, you put Black Panther and police together in any kind of legal uh, 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 challenge, and you always come out on the losing end. And uh, we appealed, and uh, appeals were turned down for whatever, for minor reasons, for, for technical And actually there wasn't too many technical reasons, but we actually had cases where things were thrown out because they said, okay, that's not framed right. And we go back and there's another problem or something else. Um, and I don't think, and, and, and there's a number of Black Panther political prisoners still in prison right now. And some of us had the best possible lawyers you could have. I mean, I've had the best lawyers in, in, in Baltimore, in some cases. and um, On appeal. On appeal. And you couldn't get justice because there was just a certain attitude. And of course that attitude was developed and, and, and formulated by COINTELPRO we found out later uh but at the time we didn't know we just thought we was just getting like some some mm-hmm. racist breaks some white supremacy acting out some uh just some uh, uh, miscarriage of justice taking place which was kind of normal in the black community anyway
0: Okay, we're going to continue this discussion. Um, much more detail, of course, about all of this, uh, and, and quite beautifully written in many places, can be found in Eddie's book, uh, Martial Law The Life and Times of a Baltimore Black Panther. And uh, here's a pitch uh, Eddie's made, going to make this book available as a premium. So, for people to donate during this fundraising campaign, or even afterwards, if you donate 10 bucks a month or a $100 one time give, uh, you'll get the book. Uh, and we're going to continue this series of, of interviews uh, in the next part. We're going we're to talk about uh, the whole issue of the Constitution. And uh, the, we, we had an interesting panel, which you can see on The Real News uh, recently, uh, of whistleblowers who were talking about the, the loss of constitutional rights. And Eddie made an interesting point uh, as he commented at the place where he said, Well, people, black people and Latinos and poor white working class people, they've kind of known this for a long time. You try to get organized, you don't have much constitutional rights. So we're going to talk about more of that in the next segment with Eddie Conway on
1: Reality Asserts Itself on the Real News Network.